0: All right, are you ready? We're going to finish our series today on heroes and villains, and uh, this has been a wonderful series, uh, thank God for this, because it ain't over until it's over. Look at your neighbor, and in the most southern country voice that you can muster, tell them, say, it ain't over until it's over. This is our fourth and final installment today, and uh, we've covered a lot of ground. We've covered a lot of material in this series. Uh, and so I want to encourage you to get online jump online you can get the podcast because I don't have much time to review today This has been good. How many of you have got a nugget of truth or a blessing of encouragement out of this series? Amen Amen. Good. Well, let's pray. Let's open our hearts God's gonna speak to us today. God's gonna help us I believe it if we will come with an open heart BJ, I believe if we'll open our spirit and our eyes, I believe God can speak to us today Let's pray father. We thank you for your word I pray for the folks in this auditorium this morning, Matthew 13 and verse 16, that they have ears to hear and that they would hear what the Spirit of God would say. I pray John chapter 12 and verse 40 that they would have hearts to understand what you are speaking to us this morning. Father, we are so humbled by your word. We love it, Lord. I thank you, Luke chapter 5 and verse 1, that your people press in this morning to hear word from you. Thank you, Luke chapter 19, that our hearts and our ears are beating, ready to hear your word. Change us, God. Encourage us with your spirit this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and everybody said, amen. So we're in this series called Heroes and Villains, and we all love to watch the movies uh, where the, the heroes and villains fight, but the thing about movies is no one is really injured. No one is really harmed. There's no real damage. There's no real emotional distress. But in our own life, we all know that we all have some villains. How many of you growing up uh, were bullied? Anybody bullied? How many of you were the bully? <laughs> Bob, were you the bully? Uh, we, you know, we all know of heroes and villains, and we all know of of growing up kids that would pick on us and fight. And and we all know the good and the bad and the the good versus the evil. But what we're really dealing with in this series is we all face villains. We all have those villains in our life that haunt us and lock us up. We all struggle with villains that if they if we would let them, they would hold us captive and stop us from doing what God has called us to do. And so we begin to take a look at some of these villains. Let's look at first John chapter four, and we're gonna look at verse four. First John four, has anybody ever seen anybody spill anything before? It's not that exciting. I'm way more exciting than the spill going on to my left. So so I'm, I'm way more fun to watch. All right, 1 John chapter 4 and verse, let's go down to 4, Jared, if you can, just for time's sake. Aren't I more exciting than a spill? Yes, amen. Thank you. All right, First John chapter 4 and verse 4. But you belong to God. You belong to God, my dear children. That's the wonderful thing, is when we become Christians, we become children of God. The Bible says, to him who believes, we have been given the power to become a child of God. As a born-again believer, I belong to God. Hey, if I'm going to belong to anybody in the universe, I want it to be God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. My daddy ain't no wimp. Come on, can I have an amen? My heavenly father cares about me, and he wants to provide and protect me. He, It says here, you have already won The victory look at your neighbor and say the victory is ours You have already won the victory through Jesus Christ. Now check this out. The spirit who lives in you Is greater than the spirit? who lives in the world. The Spirit of God is greater than the Spirit that is in the world, and we thank God for that. And my job as a pastor is to encourage you and to infuse within you that with God all things are possible. My job as a pastor is to tell you that when the world is coming against you and pushing you down with the Spirit of God on the inside of you, it can rise up and you can say, greater is the one on the inside of me than he that is in the world. I'm ready for any challenge. Come on, isn't that good news? I'm ready to take on whatever life brings my way. So we've been again to talk about some of the struggles we see uh, through men in the Bible. And we gave you three vital roadmaps to uh, winning over your villains. Three really vital roadmaps. Number one, recognize the battle's real. We are in a real fight spiritually for your children. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a real fight against your children. Have you watched TV? Have you watched constant negative news network? Come on. Have you seen what's going on against our kids? There's a real attack against the family. There's a real attack against the things of God. Number two, you've got to remember to forget. We all have a past. How I many of you would like to get past your past? You have to remember to forget all the times you've let God down, and you have to remember to forget certain tragedies in your life and move forward and let God bring healing and, and bring hope. Number three, we have to reach for the right weapon. We have to fight these battles with the right weapon. Uh, we had our big Thanksgiving uh, dinner yesterday at my house for my family, my dad's side, and... I didn't know this, but whomever hosts the dinner gets volunteered to prepare all the meat as well. And so I did not I did not know that when they said, hey, can we have Thanksgiving at your house? I said, sure, we'd love everybody to come over. Oh, by the way, the host brings the turkey and the ham. And I was like, what is all this? And so I cooked my very first turkey. The turkey was cooking a turkey. And man, it was, it was, I got Miss Carol, you'll appreciate this. I got on YouTube and I said, what's the right way to cut a turkey? I mean, if, you, if you're the one in charge of the turkey, you got to cut the turkey right. There's a, there is a right way and a wrong way to cut the turkey. So I got on YouTube and I watched probably 30 minutes of six or eight different folks cutting turkeys. I didn't want to eat turkey after that. I was a little grossed out. So I got the turkey out of the oven, and man, I I pulled that thing out, and I set that down, and I began to cut, and people were standing in line, waiting on me, and I was like, this is a lot harder than it looks, and I was like, Tara, get this knife, and I was trying to cut, and she's like, don't cut your finger off, don't cut your finger off, and I'm like, I'm not going to cut my finger off, and so I said, get another knife, and get this knife. My point, what is the point of this funny story? My point is, I did not have the right knife. My knife was not sharp. You can't cut a turkey with a dull knife. And so I said, next year, I'm going down to wherever they sell good knives, and I'm going to buy me a good knife if I'm going to have to cut a turkey. It's a lot harder to cut a turkey than what they make it look like on YouTube. Do you know why it was hard? Number one, because it was all slippery, and they all had gloves on, but I didn't have gloves on. They wear gloves because that thing is slippery trying to hold it. But do you know why it's so challenging for me to cut the turkey? I didn't have the right knife. My knife wasn't sharp. My knife was dull in this battle, in this spiritual fight that we're in. If we don't have the right weapon for addiction, if we don't have the right weapon for depression, if we don't have the right weapon for guilt, I was going somewhere with that story. See, it's actually spiritual. If we don't have the right weapon in God's word, we are we are like me, the turkey trying to cut the turkey, and the results were just not pretty. So we 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 have some weapons here. Number one is the weapon of addiction. And I don't have time to review, but you'll see this on the screen. We gave you a formula how to fight addiction. Number one, you have to accept that you have a problem. Number two, you have to be accountable. Number three, you have to limit your accessibility. This is the weapon to fight addiction. Now, number two, look at the next problem that we faced. Look at our next villain. The next villain that we faced was depression and discouragement. We talked to you all about how to deal with depression. How many of you know depression is real? How many of you know discouragement is real? If you all don't amen better, I may go home and be discouraged. So can you help me out today? We have a brother in our church that is a wonderful man of God. I'm so proud of Kerry and his family and what God is doing in their life. And he has really overcome uh, some major challenges and major, major depression. And so I want you to check out his story this morning, and I believe it's really going to help you. Check out this story about overcoming depression. Music
1: My name's Kerry Rountree, I'd like to address how depression has affected my life. I'm a product from a broken home, and in 1978, I began using marijuana every day, several times a day. I also began an obsession with food. At an early age, I tried to uh, start a family to replace some of the love and uh, security that I'd missed out. On on as a child. I didn't include Christ in those relationships and they failed. I also lost contact with my children for a long period of time. I lost enjoyment and a good work ethic. So my employment was affected by my depression I continued the marijuana and the overeating until 2011. I didn't know that I had a congenital heart defect until I had a major stroke. I had to relearn how to talk, relearn how to move, just to have stutter and uh, so I have a little paralysis that I'm dealing with. I had to invite Christ in my life. I needed answers. I needed I needed help, and I was lucky to find a wonderful woman who was looking for Christ in her life as well, and we've involved Christ in our family, we have two wonderful children who love Christ. I found a church that cares about people, about souls, and about, not rules or politics. And I'm extremely grateful of that. And I want to continue. Hey
0: Amen. Can we encourage Carrie this morning? Wasn't that great? Hey Amen. Depression is a very low place. No one is above being tempted with depression and discouragement. And so we talked to you last time about Satan attacks us when we're physically fatigued. Depression affects our ability to see reality. And after a mountaintop experience, we are often more vulnerable and acceptable to depression. And we gave you three levels to leave the low for the lifted. We told you last week that God is the lifter of our head. That when we are down and when we are discouraged, when we are depressed, God wants to lift us up. And we gave you three ways to do that. Number one is to be around the lifted. The first level to leave the low for the lifted is be around the lifted. I think you'll see this on the screen. Be around the lifted. Then you gotta be around the lifter. We gotta be around Jesus as he lifts us. And then we gotta be a lover and a laugher. Look at your neighbor and say, be a lover. Come on, tell him. Say, be a lover. We gotta be a lover and we gotta be a laugher. The Bible says, merry heart does good like a medicine. And I said it last week, And I'll say it again, if you've got the joy of the Lord in your heart, please notify your face. If you really have God's joy in your heart, please tell your face because we can't tell. And so the Bible says a merry heart, a cheerful heart is a good Medicine and so we want to be around the lifted. That's why a good church like this is really really important We want to be around the lifter. That's Jesus and John 15 talks all about that now And then we begin to talk to you about the fighting the battle of physical sickness uh, Kathy shared her testimony and we uh, thank God for her and we talked about I think Jared you'll see this review on the screen uh, Concerning sickness. It is attributed to Satan. We know that all sickness originated With Satan, and we need to resist it. We know that it's God's will to heal our physical body. We know that healing is received just like salvation. You receive salvation by grace and faith alone. We receive healing from the Lord by grace and faith alone. And then Proverbs 4, we need to take God's medicine daily. So that catches us up to date. And so today we're going to wrap this up. This is our fourth and final session. And we're going to deal with some really important villains today. And number uh, four, you'll see this villain on the screen. We're going to fight the villain today of our past failures. We're going to fight the villain of our past failures. Now, I believe personally this is one of the greatest weapons that Satan uses against the church, the body of Christ. I believe with all my heart that this is one thing that church people are not taught how to walk through and taught how to advance on. If you've ever blown it. Anybody ever blown it in the house? If you've ever failed and ever dropped the ball and if you've ever missed the mark, if you've ever sinned, as they called it back in the old days, if, if you've, if you've went against God and failed and sinned, you, you can get to a point where you feel like God cannot use me because of what I've done. God cannot use me because of my past. I'm a good dad. I can be a good church member, but God can't use me to do something great because I had a baby out of wedlock. God can't use me to do something great because I cheated on my wife and had an affair and now, no no, this is not me, this is just hypothetical, can I have an amen? God cannot use me because I've had an affair and I've ruined my family. God can't use me because I've had a long-term addiction and it's affected my job and my employment. God can't use me because of this mistake. God can't use me because I've been in trouble with the law. God can't use me in a great big way. God can't use me in a big-time way to help other people because I have past failures. Well, I have a news flash for you. God uses imperfect people. Can I have an Amen. If you ever read the Bible, the news flashes this. God uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will. God has a perfect will, and he loves to use imperfect people to do that. Now, let's be real this morning. Let's peel back the facade. Let's peel back the churchiness, and let's be honest, and let's admit, when, we are, when we're trying to do right, when we have a heart after God and we commit a, a fall we have a sin we commit a uh, we miss the mark it is very difficult and very challenging to pray after you've sinned because we don't feel like we've paid for it How many of you would be honest? You don't have to raise your hand. But how many of you would be honest and say if you've committed a sin and willfully sin? We don't accidentally sin. Come on. Let's let's be real, right? Oh, man, the devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make you do it. You did it on your own. (laughs) You may have been tempted, but I have never accidentally sinned. When I sin, I choose to do it because I know right from wrong. And so let's just be honest about it. You chose to do this. Everybody say, I chose to do this. So, when we do that, when we choose to go against God's way, and that, whether that's speeding, you do understand 56 and a 55 is a technically a sin. Thank God for grace. Thank God for grace. Whether it's whatever you do, stealing from work or getting mad and cussing at your kids and family, or if it's a major deal, you know, a major uh, thing in the eyes of people, you know, whatever your deal is, when we go against God, we will take. A couple of days. We won't pray. We'll take a couple of days. We won't read our Bible. We'll take a couple of days because we feel like we're so messed up. Why would God want to talk to me? Why would God want to help me? Because I did this it's an unrighteousness consciousness god wants us to have a righteousness consciousness instead of a sin consciousness the problem with america is we have too too great of a sin consciousness and god wants us to have his righteousness consciousness so if we're honest with with ourselves we'll admit it's harder to pray After a failure, we'll admit it's harder to read God's word. After a failure, we'll admit that it's harder when we've taken a step in the flesh. Why? Because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Revelation chapter 12 tells us Satan, the great dragon, is the accuser of the brethren. Now, if you look at the word accuse, it means this, to charge with. If you, if you accuse something, you've been charged with. It means to declare to have committed a crime. To accuse means to find fault or to blame. Now, I'm going through this thing right now with Ava and Noah. I have four precious children, uh, two of whom are growing up way too fast. Ava is nine, and Noah is eight, and I'm going to tell you a story on them, but you can't repeat it out of these walls, okay? I'm going to share a little dirt here on my kids. They are in this situation right now, Chelsea. I don't know if your boys do this, but they are accusing each other of stuff, and neither one of them admits. it's, It's kind of like Noah will say, Ava stuck her foot in my face. And Ava goes, I didn't stick my foot in your face. And so we have been disciplining our children over the last couple of weeks in a very hard way because they don't know what reality is. Noah said, she stuck her foot in my face. And Ava, you know, accusing here. And Ava says, I didn't stick my foot in your face. Noah, did she stick the foot in your face? Yes. Ava, did you stick your foot in his face? No. No. So what we start doing is disciplining both of them. So because either Noah, you are making stuff up, you're just falsifying information, or Ava, you don't know what is reality. And so I'm working with my kids, you either did or you didn't. But they're in this phase where they love to accuse one another. And Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Satan comes and says, Jazz, you can't pray because you did this. When you kneel down to pray or open your Bible, Satan comes and accuses you and blames you lays guilt on you, says, God, why would God help you today? You did this last week. Now, I know the holy people on the front row, you know this doesn't apply to them. But you did this last week. Why would God hear you? Why would God help you? So Satan is the accuser of the brethren. It's his job to remind us of our failures. It's his job to remind us of our sins. He tells us that we've went too far. We've blown it too big. Why would God use us? Even the great man of of faith, Paul, in the Bible, had to deal with this. Now, can we read some scriptures this morning? Can we go Bible hopping? My spiritual father in the faith says Bible hopping is better than bar hopping. Can I have an amen? Now, I want you to be mature this morning. I want us to read a passage, but we have to read all of it. We're going to read Romans 7. 14 through 25 this is more scriptures than some of you've ever read in your entire life and so This will help us today. Let's look at Romans 7 and we're gonna go through a number of verses here But let's read these together because we got to read these in context now Before we turn to Romans 7 Everybody say I'm listening Say it a little more convincing say I'm listening We're gonna talk about Romans 7 But from a theological standpoint, ladies and gentlemen, we cannot take Romans 7 without Romans 6 and Romans 8. But because Chelsea wants to go to lunch today, I cannot preach Romans 6 and Romans 8. We've only got time for Romans 7. But Romans 7 is the problem. But Romans 6 and Romans 8 is the answer. It's the victory. And so we have to balance that out. Look with me in verse 14 of Romans chapter 7. This is intense. The great apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, raised people from the dead, seen many miracles and signs and wonders, struggled with the same things that we struggle with, getting past guilt and failures. Here we go. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The law is the Old Testament that Moses wrote, all the regulations, all the do's and all the don'ts, all the rules, it says, The trouble is with me, the trouble's not with God's word, the trouble's not with the law, the trouble is with me, for I am all too human. How many of you are glad Paul was all too human and not all too Martian? Paul said, I'm all too human, I'm a slave to sin. Now go down to verse 15. Check this out. Look at verse 15. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Anybody honest enough to say that we've identified with that passage? Now go on down with me if you can to verse 16. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. This is saying God's word tells me right from wrong. How many know America doesn't know right from wrong? Congress, and we can't rely on Congress to tell us right from wrong. God's word tells us very clearly right from wrong. Paul says the the word of God is good because it tells me right from wrong. He says, I know this and it is good. Now look at verse 17. He says, but I'm not the one, in verse 17, he says, I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. It's my sin nature that is causing me to do these things. Now, going down to verse 18. And I know that nothing good lives in me. Look at this. Look how he's feeling. Look at the inner turmoil that he has. I know nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. Now, again, remember, Romans 8, he gives us victory in Christ Romans 6, he talks about the free gift of God that is eternal life. He's saying, in my my sinful nature, nothing good lives in me. I want to do what is right, but I can't. How many of you know this guy's having some struggles? But yet God used him in such a mighty, mighty way. Now going down to the next verse, if you can. Jared, look at verse 19. Check this out. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I want to do what is... I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. He's fighting these villains of past failures and past sin, but if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it wrong. It is sin living in me. Apart from Christ, my sinful nature controls me, but we can have victory in Christ. Now, going down to verse 21, I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. This is the great man of God, great man of faith, and he's saying I'm struggling with past failures I'm still struggling, living for Christ. I've not yet reached perfection. Now going down to verse 22. I love God's law with all my heart. See, that's the key. It's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. He had a good heart. He wanted to do what was right. Now look at verse 23. But there's another power within me that is at war in my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Now look at verse 24, and we'll go on to another passage here I want you to see. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free, free who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Now, if you just stop there, it looks bleak. If you just stop there, it looks like sin is winning. But Paul goes on to say he has found victory in Jesus Christ. So when we wake up and feel like we are losing the fight against sin, when we wake up and that past failure is stopping us from doing great things for God, We can know that the great apostle Paul felt the same thing. He says, thank God, verse 25, the answer is Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, the answer is Jesus. Come on, say it again. Say, the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. So in my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. And we see this war back and forth. Jesus said in Matthew 26, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to sin. We need to strive for perfection. We need to be more and more Christ-like, but we're going to sin. We're going to miss the mark. We cannot let that stop us from doing great things for God. Now, I'm not talking about a license to sin. This is not a license to go do anything you want to do and hope it all works out. Remember, Paul said, I love God's law with all my heart. He had a good heart. He wanted to do what was right. But he was had this inner battle going on. Now, look at Romans 8. And let's go to verse 1 and 2. So now he he lays out his burden that he's dealing with, this struggle with sin. And he says, so now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. Remember, Satan is the accuser. If you're accused, you're being condemned. But when we're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation to those who belong to Christ. Look at verse 2 with me. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Remember our text, 1 John 4, Greater is the one on the inside of me than he that is in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a power greater than sin. There is a power, and it's the power of Christ. Now look at verse 5 in Romans 8. Isn't this good? Man, don't we love God's word? This is so powerful. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature... Think about sinful things. How many of you know people like that? Dominated by this natural, physical life. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about things that pleases the Spirit. And that's where we want to go. We want to move past and forget what is behind and forget our sinful nature. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Look at what Paul said here. He, He says, this is how we do it. This is how we fight the villain of our past. Romans, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved all these things. Or I'm not saying that I've already reached perfection. But I press on, I press on to that perfection for which Jesus Christ possessed me. Now look at Philippians 3 and verse 13. Jared, if you can pull that up so we can see it. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it. But I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting the past, I press on, forgetting the past, and I look forward to what lies ahead. You see, if we can look past our failures, if we can look past the sin, God has something great for us to do. There are a lot of people, say this with me, say, there are a lot of people. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of people that can be helped from your hurt. But you got to get past the shame and the the sin. Now, if it's certain moral failures, take some time to be restored. You understand that. Certain things that we do uh, are bigger in the eyes of men than they are in the eyes of God. God looks at sin. Sin is sin. We understand that. But men view sins in a in a lot different way. And so there are certain sins that you have to take some time and be restored. But it doesn't disqualify you from God using you and doing something big in your life. But we've got to find the right weapon. And he said this, I press on, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Isn't that good news? I mean, that's a villain that we can fight. Now, let's look at our last and final villain today for a few minutes, and this is going to really help us in a tremendous way. Not only do we want to fight addiction, we want to fight depression and discouragement. We want to fight physical illness and sickness. We want to fight the guilt of our past failures. You see why you ought to come to church every weekend, because we just throw the wisdom of God out, and you don't want to miss any of it. This is so helpful. We want to fight the villain of financial hardships. How many of you would raise your hand and say at one time or another, maybe now you've really fought some financial hardship. You've really went through some tough times and I have too. And so I understand that. And I'm coming to you today with compassion on that. And I want to share some things from the word of God that will help us with this, this villain of financial hardship. Now I wish it were as easy as buying miracle spring water and then a money tree grows in your backyard. I wish Daniel could buy a bottle of miracle spring water from the Holy Land, go home and pour it on his grass, and then in two weeks a tree of money grows up. But how you many know that's not gonna happen? How I, mean, I just busted somebody's bubble that ordered miracle spring water last week. Sorry, Keith, I know you just ordered a, a month's supply of it. But it's not, it's not just gonna happen that way. God is not just gonna rain down money from heaven on you. But we all, at one time or another, have had financial hardships. And financial challenges. And so, I I wanna, I wanna say some things here concerning this. I think this is on the screen. Let me just give you some things that I know about money, okay? Here's what I know about this villain called money. Number one here, you'll see, godliness does not equal automatic financial gain. Godliness does not equal automatic financial gain. Prosperity is more than just money. Prosperity, that's not it, Jared. I'm sorry, it may not be on there. Godliness does not equal automatic financial gain. Prosperity is so much more than just finances. Listen to this nugget. Wealth is not an indicator of godliness. Neither is poverty an indicator of godliness. There are some churches that make the the priest or whatever they are take a vow of poverty. They think if you're going to be godly, you got to be poor. Wealth is not an indicator of godliness. Nor is poverty an indicator of godliness or even necessarily ungodliness. We cannot look at those. We cannot just define prosperity in sense of American prosperity. American prosperity is bigger houses and bigger cars and bigger things. And, and oftentimes we substitute, listen to this nugget I felt like the Lord gave me. Oftentimes we substitute prosperity. We say prosperity, but what we really mean is provision. Oftentimes we substitute prosperity, bigger cars, bigger houses, bigger diamond rings, bigger watches, uh, bigger TVs. We substitute, we, we, we oftentimes mistake prosperity for provision. You ask me if I'm a prosperity preacher, and if you define prosperity as the provision of God to to take care of you and your family, the provision of God to take care of your family and your assignment, if you have a hundred dollar assignment, how much do you need to take care of that assignment? You need a hundred dollars. But if you have a million dollar assignment, how much money do you need to take care of your assignment? Y'all are good at math. Y'all are good here. All right. Good job, Bob. Thank you. It's good. The guy that counts the offering, it's good that he knows this stuff. Praise God. So if Rick Mills has a $500,000 assignment on his life and ministry, Rick and Susan, if, if they have $500,000 to do that, does that mean, oh, they're prosperous? But if, if Jesse has a $200 assignment on his life and Jesse has $200, is Jesse not prospering because Jesse only has $200? If Jesse is faithful with a $200 calling and Rick is faithful with a $500,000 calling, there's no difference in the eyes of God. Jesse gets the same reward for fulfilling his destiny as Rick got for fulfilling his destiny. It's not about the numbers, ladies and gentlemen. So if you say, are you one of those prosperity preachers? I, I'm way more of a provision preacher than what you might call a prosperity preacher. The Bible says here in our passage, um, I don't think we're quite ready for that one yet, Jared, but uh, let's see. We might be able to go there. Uh, let me look. Look here at Luke chapter 20. All right, look at Luke chapter 20. Check this out. Now tell us, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? How many of you have ever said, should I pay taxes? Man, the IRS is taking all my money. So these people come to trick. These people come to trick Jesus. They come to trick him and they they say, master tell us is it right that we pay taxes they were trying to trick him depending on his answer he could be put to death for treason notice this here in luke 22 he uh verse 23 it says he saw through their trickery and said now look at verse 24 show me a roman coin whose picture and whose title are stamped on it caesar's they replied notice this here you ready for this i want you to hear this check this out okay you ready for this Notice this, he said, well, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Somebody say, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And then look what Jesus said. He said, and give to God what belongs to God. Now, in context here, he's talking about money. He picked up a coin and said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, pay your taxes, do your obligations. And and he said, give to God what belongs to God. Now, my whole life I've heard this preached in this sense. Your money belongs to God. You need to give to God what is his. And and I'm not going to argue that point with you, but this scripture has so much more meaning. So, so much more meaning. This is not just, you know, God owns your money and he wants it and, and the mafia of heaven is coming if you don't. I mean, you know, preachers make God out like he's the mafia. Instead of the Father God, they make him into the Godfather. If you don't put your tithe in, your kids are going to get sick. If you don't put your tithe in, your house is going to burn down. I've heard this, man. I've heard preachers say, if you don't give to God, he'll come and take it any way that he can. That's baloney. Come on, somebody say baloney. That's baloney. My, my my friends over here that are all asleep, come on, say baloney. This is the active crowd over here. Who didn't shower in the middle? Is it Jesse or is it Sabrina or what is going on here? <laughs> I'm just teasing. But you know, it's okay to sit in the middle. Did you guys know that? It's actually okay to sit in the middle. Jesse, I appreciate you for sitting in the middle. But I've heard preachers say, man, if you don't give God his money, if you don't give God his tithe and his 10%, he's going to come and take it out of you. Listen, God's not the mafia in heaven. Should we tithe? Yes, we're going to talk about that. But it's so much more. Say this when me. Say, give to God what belongs to God. So what belongs to God? God is after your heart. The Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind. Look with me at Matthew chapter 6, in verse 21. I want you to see this. Matthew 6, check this out, in verse 21. It says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart, there your heart will be also. God is not after your wallet. He's after your heart. And the whole deal, honestly, ladies and gentlemen, I want to make a very bold statement here, okay? Now, understand money challenges. I understand this. I've had on myself walk through them. I understand what it's like to have no money in the bank. I understand what it's like to do cash advances on credit cards to pay bills. Man, I totally get it. I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, and thank God for his wisdom. I don't want to be there anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. But I know what it's like. I can tell you stories. Uh, it's not always just been this wonderful cushy thing. We just money grows on trees. I understand I'm gonna say this with compassion. I'm gonna say this with with as kind as I can Perpetual on and on and on please hear my heart here. My it's not condemning We're trying to grow trying to help you here Perpetual on and on and on financial villains over and over again for decades and decades really honestly boils down To an issue in the heart it's not I'm not it's not a condemnation I understand sometimes we can't work sometimes we have people that are given to us to take care of we have situations we didn't ask for man I totally get it I understand but if you if if for 30 years 40 years you've you've fought this financial villain over and over and over and you've never won it's not it's not a money problem It's a heart problem. And that's not in a condemning way because we're here to grow and we're here to learn. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I believe with all my heart that when God gets your heart, he gets every area of your life and you begin to do things his way. Now again, hear me with compassion. It's not that you don't love God. It's not that you don't want to do what's right. But there's a part in our heart that we have not yet fully trusted and given to God. Because if we will do that over time, somebody say over time, over time, these financial villains and financial hardships can be eradicated. Now listen, it's over time. Maxie, there's no instant pill. If you've had years of hardship and years of challenges, there's nothing that I can do for you today to help you out of that instantly. We love things just instant. But working through financial hardships and working through these villains is not instant. Unless you win the lottery, which I'm not advocating, okay? Unless you do something crazy like that. This is going to take time. But when our heart is fully lent to God, He will give us the wisdom and He will give us the creative ideas and He will help us with provision. Now, again, provision is different than prosperity. How many of you had a place to sleep last night and you had food to to eat? How many of you came in today with shoes on your feet? Come on, you understand we are prosperous. We are blessed. How many of you came in with clothes on today? That's good, amen. We're glad, Daniel, aren't we? We're glad. I've been in places in this world where they didn't have clothes, and they didn't have shoes, and they didn't have food. And you have too. You've seen it. So ladies and gentlemen, we are prosperous. We are so blessed. We've got to get out of this mind of prosperity. We've got to get more into the provision of God. God's not after your wallet. He's after your heart. When God has my heart, and I'm seeking first his kingdom, his wisdom concerning finances will follow Now, let me give you here four prudent principles to walk in provision and tithe. We talked about that. I'm not going to dwell on it, not going to spend a lot, but when God has your heart, he has your money. I'm going to give you four prudent principles for provision that over time, if you walk these out, over time, you will begin to see some victory in the area of your finances. Now, I love it, Pastor Michael. I've seen people that know how to give and know how to sow. They know how to tithe, but man, they're still broke. Because you can't just do one principle. You understand there are hundreds of financial principles in God's word. You can't just pick one and do it and expect it to work. You can't pick one and neglect all the other ones. We must do all of God's wisdom, meaning the more we give God our heart and we're lending to him, the more he'll speak to us about these other financial principles. Boy, it's quiet in this church today. Everybody's holding on to their wallet. God's not after your money. Neither am I. I'm after your heart, and so is God. Number one, tithe. Tithe is a fancy word, means 10%. I love it, Meredith. When my kids were little, they would talk about giving God the tithe. <laughs> giving God the tithe. They didn't know it was tithe, and they would talk about giving God the tithe. Way back in the very beginning of the Old Testament, we see Abraham, way back, he decided to give God 10%. That's where the number comes from. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 3. Say this it when we say, it's not about a percentage. It's not. It's about the heart. Look at this. It says, honor the Lord. This is the key. The reason I give to God is it's an expression of how much I love him. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. And this was called the first fruits offering. If you study this back in the Old Testament, they would give God 10% of the best crops that they would grow. And so it's not a matter of just... The, the percentage, it's not a matter of, of you know, if you, if you don't do this, you're cursed with a curse. It's a matter of honoring God. When God has my heart, He has my wallet. You can look at my wallet. You can look at my bank statement and find out where my heart is. Some of it's at UT. You know, some of our hearts are here. Some of our hearts are on big vacations. Nothing wrong with that. Some of our hearts on all these fancy clothing. Nothing wrong with fancy clothing. Some of our hearts are on shoes. Man, I, I work with a lady. She buys her son like $200 pairs of shoes. I could shoe my whole family for $200. Praise God. Nothing wrong with that. If you want to do that, if God's blessed you in that way, man, go for it. It's not about what you're buying or don't buy. But if we're tracking where our heart is, if God has our heart, he has our money. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Look at verse 10. Then your barns will be full of grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Meaning the provision is there when we tithe. Now, a lot of people say tithing is Old Testament. That was Old Testament. I live in the grace of the New Testament. Well, listen, you can have an old antiquated coffee grinder And it doesn't work anymore, but that doesn't mean that Starbucks is still not crazy popular. Can I have an amen? The concept of the old antique hand coffee grinder is gone, but the concept of coffee is not. It's still around. And so now, let me give you another example. Well, tithing at 10%, man, that's just old school, that's Old Testament. I'm in the New Testament grace. The New Testament's almost absent with tithing, and so I'm not, you know, I don't have to do that. I'm free from all that, man. Okay, well, listen, you, you tell your kids, kids, come inside. Hey, kids, come inside. And six hours later, your kids come inside. I told you to come inside. Why did you take six hours? Mom and dad, obeying your parents, that's Old Testament. That's old school. Come on, you get my drift? It's asinine to say that just because something of principles in the Old Testament that it can't be carried over into the New Testament. So we must tithe. We must give God 10% because it puts us in line to receive. Now look at this right here. I want you to see this, okay? Look at this screen. Let me give you some truths about tithing. This is this is so powerful. Jared, do you see truths about tithing on there? In the Old Testament, the tithe was taken. In the New Testament, the tithe was received. In the Old Testament you tithe to be blessed in the New Testament you tithe because you are blessed in the Old Testament the tithe was given to men. in The New Testament the tithe is given to Jesus through his body the local church Let me say it again in the Old Testament the tithe was taken in the New Testament it was received In the Old Testament the tithe was given to get blessed You had to give this in order for the blessings of God to be on you in the New Testament We give because we are blessed And then number three, the Old Testament tithe was given to men, but in the New Testament it's given to Jesus through his local church, so we must tithe. Now, number two, the second prudent principle is budgeting. Look at your neighbor and go, oh, that hurts. You can't just tithe and not budget and expect the financial villains to be defeated. Now, if you don't like the word budget, how about we call it strategic financial planning? I know the B word is a dirty word for some of us, but we must learn to budget. This is a spiritual principle in the, in the kingdom of God. Look at Proverbs 21 and verse 5. Look with me at Proverbs 21 and I want you to check out verse Five. It says, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. Can we all say that together and say it like you believe it? Say it with a smile on your face. Ready? Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Now again, no condemnation. If you're fighting a villain of finances now, I'm telling you what we can do over time to help win some of these battles. My heart is to help you, so we must Budget now let me give you a sample budget to aim for look at this simple Sample budget now this may not be for you. This may not fit your situation This may not be what you can do now, but it gives us something to aim for gives us something to work towards We're gonna fight the villains of financial hardship number one give 10% to God number two put 10% into savings Number three, live off 60% and then invest 20% back into your family. 20% for fun. 20% is a lot. If that's more than you can do now, at least start budgeting some. You need a vacation. Look at your neighbor and say, you really need a vacation. Come on, tell them you really need a vacation. Get a hobby. Invest in your hobby. Because if you are burnt out and you're not healed and healthy and whole, you can't help anybody. So this is a good sample budget to shoot for. I understand it may not be realistic where we are now. I understand. I get it. I'm not budgeting 20% for fun. I tried to get this. Ms. Tara's like, hey, can we rework our budget right now? She's like, nope, we got a bunch of babies we had to pay for. So when I'm done paying for my babies, I'll budget 20% for fun. But this is a sample budget that I'm believing God for. I'm believing God that I'll be able to get here. Of course, I want to give way more than 10%. Hopefully, I'll even end up saving more than 10%. So here's the PowerPoint for life. Are you ready? Everybody say, this is good. Everybody say, I'm faking it. (laughs) Say, come on, say, this is good. Look at this PowerPoint for life. Jared, you'll see this on the screen. If your outgo is more than your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. This is wisdom, ladies and gentlemen. We want to get over the financial villains that have haunted us for decades and decades and decades. We want to move little by little to freedom in Christ, meaning if, if my brother has a need, I can help him. If this family has a need, I can go buy them groceries. There have been times when I couldn't go buy somebody groceries, Okay. But if my brother has a need, my sister has a need, I want to be able to go and help you. That's provision. That's prosperity, ladies and gentlemen. But it's not just going to magically happen even just because you tithe. You can tithe and still be broke. How many pastors are going to tell you that? We've got to do all the wisdom of God. If your outgo is more than your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. Now, I didn't make any friends there, Pastor Randy. I'm not going to make any friends here. Look at number three. Look at the third prudent principle. you got to work hard, and you got to work with integrity. A lot of our clamoring for prosperity would be fixed by hard work. Now, I understand there's situations where you can't work. I understand there's situations, physical limitations. I understand. I get it. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18. Remember the Lord your God. It is He, the one who gives you the power to be successful in order to fulfill His covenant. It is He that gives you the power to get Wealth. God doesn't give you wealth. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God will give you wealth. The Bible says God will give you the power to get wealth, and that is through hard work and the, with integrity. Look here at this scripture in the Bible that we've got in Proverbs 10 and verse 4. This, this is one of my favorite scriptures, and I teach this to my kids all the time. Lazy people are soon poor, but hard workers get rich. Prosperity is way more than just putting money in an offering plate. Come on, can I have an amen? We've got a tithe. Give God 10% of your earnings. We got a budget. We got a plan. We gotta be smart with our money. We gotta work hard. We gotta do it with integrity. We've got to do it right. And then look at number four. And we'll let you go. And I know it's not soon enough. <laughs> this is helping us though. Number four, we've got to save. If we will give God our heart over time, these principles We can begin to win some of the financial villains. I understand seasons. I understand things are challenging. I get it. I understand the economy. The Bible says you can even prosper in times of famine. Even in a down economy, you can walk in the provision of God, ladies and gentlemen. This is a real villain. I know this isn't popular, Ren Kim. I know it. I know this isn't run around the building type stuff. If I held a basket up here and said, does say it, God, put your money in and you'll have money in your bank when you get home. Man, the place would be going crazy. But that's foolish that's not wisdom, but God's Word helps us. Look at Proverbs 21 and verse 20. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Somebody say, ouch. we got to save. It's okay. It's biblical to save. Last scripture, we're going to let you go. Proverbs 6 and verse 6. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be lazy bones. Come on, tell them. I love that. I'll tell my kids, don't y'all be lazy bones. Take a lesson from the ant, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. So the ant is wiser than most Americans. Little dumb little ant is wiser than most people I know. Notice here what the ant does. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, Look at verse 8, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. Ladies and gentlemen, I know this is not the most popular thing. You have to trust me, this is not just to help the church budget. You just have to believe me that this is for you. I know financial villains are a huge battle. I understand I'm fighting that villain. I'm working through these things just like you are. But if we'll tithe and if we'll budget... And if we'll work hard and if we'll save, over time, we can begin to have some victory in the area of our finances. And the issue is freedom, ladies and gentlemen. It's freedom. If I need to help you, I can. It's the issue of freedom. That's the whole point. So this is how we fight some villains in our life. How many of you feel encouraged and feel challenged? Man, amen. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I know we really talked through some things this morning. And God, I know that we've we taken a little bit of time here and this wasn't maybe as exciting as a message as what we normally bring. But Father, I believe that you delivered it to us and I believe that it is your plan for these people that are here today. God, I pray over them now. I pray over these dear people in this room that they heard your words. They didn't hear something that I wasn't trying to say. They heard your heart and your compassion because you care for them. Lord, if you get our heart... Everything else will follow. That's what we pray. We pray, God, you have our hearts.